Chapter Nineteen of Eight Cousins by Louisa May Alcott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nineteen, Brother Bones. Rose accepted her uncle's offer, as Aunt Myra discovered two or three days later. Coming in for an early call and hearing voices in the study, she opened the door, gave a cry, and shut it quickly. Looking a great deal startled, the doctor appeared in a moment and begged to know what the matter was. How can you ask when that long box looks so like a coffin? I thought it was one, and that dreadful thing staring me in the face as I opened the door," answered Mrs. Myra, pointing to the skeleton that hung from the chandelier, cheerfully grinning at all beholders and looking as if it might start walking at any moment. This is a medical college where women are freely admitted, so walk in, madam, and join the class if you'll do me the honor," said the doctor, waving her forward with his politest bow. "Do, Auntie, it's perfectly splendid," cried Rose's voice, and Rose's blooming face was seen behind the ribs of the skeleton, smiling and nodding in the gayest possible manner. "What are you doing, child?" demanded Aunt Myra. Dropping into a chair and staring about her, oh, I'm learning bones today, and I like it so much. There are twelve ribs, you know, and the two lower ones are called floating ribs because they are not fastened to the breastbone. That's why they go in so easily if you lace tight and squeeze the lungs and heart in the. Let me see, what was that big word? Oh, I know, thoracic cavity. And Rose beamed with pride as she aired her little bit of knowledge. Do you think this is a good sort of thing for her to be poking over? She is a nervous child, and I'm afraid it will be bad for her," said Aunt Myra, watching Rose as she counted vertebrae and waggled a hip joint in its socket. An excellent study, for she enjoys it, and I mean to teach her how to manage her nerves so that they won't be a curse to her, as many a woman's become through ignorance or want of thought. To make a mystery or a terror of these things is a mistake, and I mean that Rose shall understand and respect her body so well that she won't dare to trifle with it as most women do. And she really likes it, very much, Auntie. It's all so wonderful and so nicely planned. You can hardly believe what you see. Just think, there are six hundred million air cells in one pair of lungs, and two thousand pores to a square inch of surface. So you see what quantities of air we must have, and what care we should take of our skin, so all the little doors will open and shut right. And brains, Auntie, you've no idea how curious they are. I haven't got to them yet, but I long to, and Uncle is going to show me a mannequin that you can take to pieces. Just think how nice it will be to see all the organs in their places. I only wish they would be made to work as ours do. It was funny to see Aunt Myra's face as Rose stood before her, talking rapidly, with one hand laid in the friendliest manner on the skeleton's shoulder. Every word that both the doctor and Rose uttered hit the good lady in her weakest spot, and as she looked and listened, a long array of bottles and pill boxes rose up before her, reproaching her with the ignorance and want of thought that made her what she was—a nervous, dyspeptic, unhappy old woman. Well, I don't know, but you may be right, Alec. Only I wouldn't carry it too far. 
Women don't need much of this sort of knowledge and are not fit for it. I couldn't bear to touch that ugly thing, and it gives me the creeps to hear about organs, said Aunt Myra, with a sigh and her hand on her side. Wouldn't it be a comfort to know that your liver was on the right side, Auntie, and not on the left? asked Rose, with a naughty laugh in her eyes, for she had lately learned that Aunt Myra's liver complaint was not in the proper place. It's a dying world, child, and it doesn't much matter where the pain is, for sooner or later we all drop off and are seen no more, was Aunt Myra's cheerful reply. Well, I intend to know what kills me if I can, and meantime I'm going to enjoy myself in spite of a dying world. I wish you'd do so, too, and come and study with Uncle. It would do you good, I'm sure. And Rose went back to counting vertebrae with such a happy face that Aunt Myra had not the heart to say a word to dampen her ardor. Perhaps it's as well to let her do what she likes the little while she's with us. But pray be careful of her, Alec, and not allow her to overwork, she whispered to Uncle Alec as she went out. That's exactly what I'm trying to do, ma'am, and rather a hard job I find it, he added as she shut the door, for the dear aunts were dreadfully in his way sometimes. Half an hour later came another interruption in the shape of Mac, who announced his arrival by the brief but elegant remark, Hello, what game is this? When Rose explained, Mac gave a long whistle of surprise, and then took a promenade round the skeleton, observing gravely, Brother Bones looks very jolly, but I can't say much for his beauty. You mustn't make fun of him, for he's a good old fellow, and you'd be just as ugly if your flesh were off, said Rose, defending her new friend with warmth. I dare say, so I'll keep my flesh on, thank you. You are so busy you can't read to a fellow, I suppose, asked Mac, whose eyes were better, but still too weak for books. Don't you want to come and join my class? Uncle explains it all to us, and you can take a look at the plates as they come along. We'll give up bones today and have eyes instead. That will be more interesting to you, added Rose, seeing no signs of ardent thirst for physiological information in his face. Rose, we must not fly from one thing to another in this way, began Dr. Alec, but she whispered quickly with a nod toward Mac, whose goggles were turned wistfully in the direction of the forbidden books. He's blue today, and we must amuse him. Give a little lecture on eyes, and it will do him good. No matter about me, uncle. Very well. The class will be seated. And the doctor gave a sounding rap on the table. Come sit by me, dear, and then we can both see the pictures. If your head gets tired, you can lie down, said Rose, generously opening her little college to a brother and kindly providing for the weaknesses that all humanity is subject to. Side by side they sat and listened to a very simple explanation of the mechanism of the eyes, finding it as wonderful as a fairy tale, for fine place illustrated it, and a very willing teacher did his best to make the lesson pleasant. Jove, if I'd known what mischief I was doing to that mighty delicate machine of mine, you wouldn't have caught me reading by firelight or studying with a glare of sunshine on my book, said Mac, peering solemnly at a magnified eyeball, then pushing it away he added indignantly. Why isn't a fellow taught all about his works and how to manage him, and not left to go blundering into all sorts of worries? Telling him after he's down isn't much use, 
for then he's found it out himself and won't thank you. Ah, Mac, that's just what I keep lecturing about, and people won't listen. You lads need that sort of knowledge so much, and fathers and mothers ought to be able to give it to you. Few of them are able, and so we all go blundering, as you say. Less Greek and Latin, and more knowledge of the laws of health for my boys, if I had them. Mathematics are all very well, but morals are better. And I wish, how I wish, that I could help teachers and parents to feel it as they ought. Some do. Aunt Jessie and her boys have capital talks, and I wish we could. But Mother's so busy with her housekeeping and Father with his business that there never seems to be any time for that sort of thing. Even if there was, it doesn't seem as if it would be easy to talk to them, because we've never got into the way of it, you know. Poor Mac was right there, and expressed a want that many a boy and girl feels. Fathers and mothers are too absorbed in business and housekeeping to study their children and cherish that sweet and natural confidence which is a child's surest safeguard and a parent's subtlest power. So the young hearts hide trouble or temptation till the harm is done, and mutual regret comes too late. Happy the boys and girls who tell all things freely to father or mother, sure of pity, help, and pardon, and thrice happy the parents who, out of their own experience and by their own virtues, can teach and uplift the souls for which they are responsible. This longing stirred in the hearts of Rose and Mac, and by a natural impulse both turned to Dr. Alec, for in this queer world of ours fatherly and motherly hearts often beat warm and wise in the breasts of bachelor uncles and maiden aunts, and it is my private opinion that these worthy creatures are a beautiful provision of nature for the cherishing of other people's children. They certainly get great comfort out of it, and receive much innocent affection that otherwise would be lost. Dr. Alec was one of these, and his big heart had room for every one of the eight cousins, especially orphaned Rose and afflicted Mac. So, when the boy uttered that unconscious reproach to his parents, and Rose added with a sigh, it must be beautiful to have a mother. The good doctor yearned over them, and shutting his book with a decided slam, said in that cordial voice of his, Now look here, children, you just come and tell me all your worries, and with God's help, I'll settle them for you. That is what I'm here for, I believe, and it will be a great happiness to me if you can trust me. We can, uncle, and we will, both answered with a heartiness that gratified him much. Good. Now school is dismissed, and I advise you to go and refresh your six hundred million air cells by a brisk run in the garden. Come again whenever you like, Mac, and we'll teach you all we can about your works, as you call them, so you can keep them running smoothly. We'll come, sir. Much obliged. And the class in physiology went out to walk. Mac did come again, glad to find something he could study in spite of his weak eyes, and learned much that was of more value than anything his school had ever taught him. Of course, the other lads made great fun of the whole thing, and plagued Dr. Alec's students half out of their lives, but they kept on persistently, and one day something happened which made the other fellows behave themselves. It was a holiday, and Rose, up in her room, thought she heard the voices of her cousins, so she ran down to welcome them, but found no one there. Never mind, they will be here soon, and then we'll have a frolic, she said to herself. And thinking she had been mistaken, she went into the study to wait. She was lounging over the table, looking at a map, 
when an odd noise caught her ear. She heard a gentle tapping somewhere. Following the sound, she felt that it seemed to come from the inside of a long case in which the skeleton lived, when not professionally engaged. This case stood upright in a niche, between two bookcases at the back of the room, a darkish corner where Brother Bones, as the boys would call him, was out of the way. As Rose stood looking in that direction and wondering if a rat had got shut in, the door of the case swung slowly open, and with a great start she saw a bony arm lifted and a bony finger beckoned to her. For a minute she was frightened and ran to the study door with a fluttering heart, but just as she touched the handle a queer, stifled sort of giggle made her stop short and turn red with anger. She paused an instant to collect herself and then went softly toward the bony beckoner. A nearer look revealed black threads tied to the arm and fingers, the ends of the threads disappearing through holes bored in the back of the case. Peeping into the deep recess, she also caught sight of the tip of an elbow, covered with a rough gray cloth, which she knew very well. Quick as a flash, she understood the joke. Her fear vanished, and with a wicked smile, she whipped out her scissors, cut the threads, and the bony arm dropped with a rattle. Before she could say, Come out, Charlie, and let my skeleton alone. A sudden eruption of boys, all in a high state of tickle, told the hidden rug that his joke was a failure. I told him not to do it, because it might give you a start, explained Archie, emerging from the closet. I had a smelling bottle already if she fainted away, added Steve, popping up from behind the great chair. It's too bad of you not to squawk and run. We depended on it. It's such fun to howl after you said Will and Geordie, rolling out from under the sofa in a promiscuous heap. "'You are getting altogether too strong-minded, Rose. Most girls would have been in a jolly twitter to see this old fellow waggling his finger at them,' complained Charlie, squeezing out from his tight quarters, dusty and disgusted. "'I'm used to your pranks now, so I'm always on the watch, and prepared. But I won't have Brother Bones made fun of. I know Uncle wouldn't like it, so please don't.' began Rose, just as Dr. Alec came in. Seeing the state of the case at a glance, he said quietly, Hear how I got that skeleton, and then I'm sure you will treat him with respect. The boy settled down at once on any article of furniture that was nearest, and listened dutifully. Years ago, when I was in the hospital, a poor fellow was brought there with a rare and very painful disease. There was no hope for him, but we did our best, and he was so grateful that when he died he left us his body, that we might discover the mysteries of his complaint, and so be able to help others afflicted in the same way. It did do good, and his brave patience made us remember him long after he was gone. He thought that I had been kind to him, and said to a fellow student of mine, Tell the doctor I leave him me bones, for I've nothing else in the wide world, and I'll not be wanting him at all, at all, when the great pain has killed me entirely. So that is how they came to be mine, and why I've kept them carefully, for, though only a poor, ignorant fellow, Mike Nolan did what he could to help others, and prove his gratitude to those who tried to help him. As Dr. Alec paused, Archie closed the door of the case as respectfully as if the mummy of an Egyptian king were inside. Will and Geordie looked solemnly at each other, evidently much impressed, and Charlie pensively remarked from the coal hod where he sat, I've often heard of a skeleton in the house, but I think few people have one as useful and as interesting as ours.
End of Chapter 19 Recording by Maria Therese